0: Hello, fangirls, fanboys, and non-binary fan pals. My name is Kendra, and welcome to Food for Nerds, the podcast all about exploring the psychological and societal impacts of everything fandom. This week, you're going to join Jake and I as we dive into something a little bit different than we've looked at before. Primarily, we've been looking at media such as books, movies, and TV shows. Well, today, we're going to go in a little bit of a gaming direction and talk about something a little more current, and a little more fun that's touched our lives in different ways. So if that sounds interesting to you, just keep listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Food for Nerds. As always, my name is Kendra, and I have with me today my co-host, Jake.
1: Good to see you again, guys. Uh, Back again for another week. Um, Really excited for what we have for this week, too. Uh, It's something that we thought was a little bit more current. Uh, than some of the things which certainly I know pique your guys' interest, but this one I think uh, being a little bit more current is a bit more exciting, and I'm kind of glad that we can kind of be a little caught up on current events this way.
0: Yeah, uh, before we really get going, some housekeeping stuff, Uh, you might hear some problems with audio this week and maybe the next couple episodes as well. Uh, For anyone who does not know, my husband and I are buying a house, But because of that, there is a space in between us having to leave the place we're currently living. And before closing on the house, we're actually staying in a hotel for a little bit. So I'm working off of hotel Wi-Fi. Hey, guys, editing Kendra here. I just wanted to stick a quick edit in here real fast um, because I did kind of put out what I was talking about here on our social media as just a hey bear with us while we're going through this time and some of you guys expressed concern over the safety for myself and my husband since we are staying an extended stay at a hotel now and in the world of covid that kind of concerned people um in the end we didn't have a choice we're buying a house. We had to be out of the place we were already living in and there is a gap. So, this was the safest option for us and for family while we're here. Um cuz we are we can't stay with family members cuz the family members that exist in this area are older and we don't want to put them at any kind of risk. We did choose a suite-style room, so the two of us are pretty much here by ourselves, masked up, sanitized up with a kitchen, which is super nice because it allows us to reduce the amount of time that we're out of the room, so... In case anyone was concerned, since some people reached out, we are incredibly safe and okay. And we will remain safe and okay until we are in our own house. Uh, Hopefully that's within, at this point, only a few days away. So thank you all for the concern. And I just wanted to make sure that was added in as an edit here that we are perfectly safe and okay. So there could be some glitches and audio things. So just bear with us while we get sorted here. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's one of those things we can't quite plan for all the little eventualities. Thankfully, the platform we're using does work quite well. We've talked about our use of Anchor. It's neat, it gives us some flexibility, um, but admittedly, there are some drawbacks here and there, and that's not even Anchor's fault, nor just the remote access of this. So um, we're making it work, and we appreciate your guys' patience again, you know, without any of the little hiccups. Um, <laughs> but this is one that um, this week, uh, a topic, like I said, based on what I'd seen going around, and Kendra agreed to let me drive a little bit on this one and absolutely and go for it present something cool. Um, so there was a release this year, and it was pretty cool, um, for a lot of us that are in the gaming community. So the game in question is the Tony Hawk Pro Skater series, in specific. And um, Tony Hawk Pro Skater one and two was getting a remake, um, with all new, um physics and graphics but the same maps and the same different game modes um, the same characters and things like that but also some other additional features like creating your own skater and creating your own parks Um, and for those of us that have been playing that series for years it was exciting and the thought of maybe another kind of games spun out of the original that's, you know, seem to further stray away from the original it was kind of, you know, a worry. Um, but seeing them return to their roots this way, one and two was such a landmark, landmark kind of game. And uh, it's one of those, I can feel confident saying that if you're listening, you've either played or seen someone play that game. That's either in your family, your friends or yourself. Like,
0: oh, absolutely. Almost,
1: almost say that for sure. It's just something that came out of, our generation, but had this awesome tie with those a couple of years older, a couple of generations older, and it continued um, even with some of the the different kids that have have followed since our our age. So, it's a really exciting thing that it's touched such a broad audience. Um, but what's kind of neat then is we like we said we talk a lot about the sociological and psychological impact of a culture, and it's neat to see how this culture. A, came about because of the game in a lot of ways, and B, how the game then turned around and affected the culture right back. Um, And because of how broad that appeal was for the game, it makes it such a really cool way to see it. It's sort of this odd, rare universality in a lot of ways. Where you don't normally have that in a lot of forms of media. You don't have one genre that everybody likes. You don't have one anything. Um, and it seemed that for a lot of people, you can't say it was totally universal, but that it had this oddly universal quality to it. um, That lended itself to anybody being able to just pick it up and enjoy it and take something good away from it. And that was what the community sought to do. And then, because that's what people saw the community was about, it turned even more commitment and fan culture around that little universe um
0: yeah um for for me it's interesting because i'm not a huge gamer i I dabble i dabble upon the games such as with things like diablo but that's the style of thing that i like that type of world and this is a game that i have seen played by friends that i have tried a time or two it's maybe not my favorite thing But as someone who's not in a gaming world and whose game preference has nothing to do with athletic games, the fact that it has touched into my social circles, especially social circles that are just not sporty or athletic in any way, where gamers, musical theater nerds, the fact that even that group knows this game and understands this game, I think speaks to why we wanted to talk about this.
1: Yeah, and I think what was kind of neat about it, like, from remembering when we grew up, like you were just even saying that, you know, I specifically remember parties where we would play that game, and it was weird because there were really, there are not a whole lot of games outside of, like, your normal Nintendo games, you know, your yeah. your Mario Karts and things like that are just kind of built for parties, but there's something about Tony Hawk Pro Skater in that usually when you're, you're running a, a, a skate, it's usually two minutes long. so you skate for two minutes it gives you a score and that's a perfect time to pass the controller and so it also created this sort of sense of corporate gaming and there were also versions of it that you could play side by side in the same skate area and so basically you both have two minutes you both have the same environment um go see who can put down the best run um So it was neat to see how even from the start, it was encouraging community and friendship and sort of that sense of cooperative but competitive play in that you also couldn't really mess with the other skaters in particular, it wasn't geared that way. So it was meant as a cooperative competitive sort of thing.
0: So for most of this discussion, uh, Jake actually sent me a very interesting documentary. It's available on Amazon Prime. and it is... Jake, give me the title because I didn't write it down.
1: No worries. Uh, it's called Pretending to be Superman. And uh, it's I think it's got a subtitle of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater story or something like that.
0: Yeah, um, it's, it's something like that, but it's specifically about this game. It's only, I think, about 73 minutes long or so. So it's a very short documentary, but it's very poignant and has a lot of great detail put into it right from the beginning like they waste no time setting things up it's just a here we go and let's talk about it but I feel like it was a very good way to inform me about a topic that I wasn't very informed about before this and it talked a lot about the psychological and societal impacts of this game and then in turn you know like Tony Hawk how basically he became who he is to multiple generations and an entire society and culture.
1: Absolutely. And that's, it's, you know, when you talked about how they kind of, it sort of started out and kind of hit the ground running, I totally agree. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things I liked about it is they sort of started with the skate community was in Mm -hmm. the late seventies and early eighties. And they talked about how it kind of fractured and kind of shifted and some things that kind of changed. And then they just kind of went through and they explained what the state of the community kind of was in the, you know, 80s and even into the 90s uh, as we started seeing the popularity of the, the initial game. And when we talk about it, I'm trying to find the exact list here. Um, when we talk about it, Tony, the Tony Hawk game series is not just three or four games at this point. No,
0: it's a ton.
1: And the first few were known as the Pro Skaters. Those were up through, I believe it was Pro Skater four after pro skater four they started having different names um so you've got tony hawk pro skater skate jam you had downhill you've got shred session you have the <laughs> ones that you could play with the um the the floor like Wii board style controllers yeah, that you almost like
0: a Wii Fit shaped kind of thing that you could yep. do all the tricks on so like when i think about this game series that's what i'm envisioning it's the the weird Wii-ish like skateboard on the floor
1: exactly and it was it was a neat little a neat little bit of tech it didn't get executed too well unfortunately and they even talk about that tony admits that in the the uh the documentary at one point he just kinda of even spec you know, specifies, you know, that yeah. one was probably could've we could have worked out more of the bugs with the connectivity for the controller and yeah. a few other things. Um and by that point, unfortunately, we were sort of at the end of the what we called the plastics era. We really weren't <laughs> doing guitar hero controllers, we weren't really doing the drum kits from Grok Band, like most of the extra weird accessories were, we're sort of we're out of the game. Yeah, so it was sort of a weird timing thing for that, but it was a really cool thing to see. And it was one of those where Tony Hawk was one of the first games to really stretch for that. Um, There was another game that kind of came out eventually to sort of compete. Um, You had the the skate series um, Mm -hmm. in particular um, from EA games, but that wasn't until years later, they also had a, a. uh, game that had that sort of controller as well. Same sort of, sort of success. But I guess the what we're trying to get at is that Tony X Pro Skater has always sort of been on the bleeding edge for most of what people would consider skate culture and the way you would make a skate game. And then they were kind of gone for a little bit here, um, at least from anything that was particularly appealing or particularly Uh, convincing, you know, maybe mobile games and things like that, but nothing huge. And then to see that they were going to do the remake, um, it's super exciting. Um, The initial game, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, uh, released for the PlayStation, and that was back in 1999.
0: Back in the day.
1: Yep. And so it started out on PlayStation, um, but where I know I played it in particular was on the Nintendo 64. There's also a version for Game Boy Color, Dreamcast, and the infamous N gauge. Um, but when you, a lot of realize,
0: us... when you realize that I am too young to know what virtually any of that is, A. Hey. Oh, ouch. Sorry.
1: Wow, now Sorry. I'm feeling old. Nah, it's all right. The Nintendo 64 thing, uh, that, that was one of the more common ones that you would see in a lot of. Like I said, at that time, I was young, and so like nobody was buying their kid the fanciest consoles. The N64 yeah. was more reasonably priced and had sort of the silly, cartoony games. So anyway, I played it more often than the N64 with a lot of my friends, but I also know my brother, who was a little older, he had more experience probably running into this on the PlayStation. Um, and then I specifically remember a couple times, um, It was it's one of my fondest memories of Tony Hawk, and that was there, um, there was a... Children's Hospital near me, and they were doing some tests because I was really, really short when I was growing up. And they had these audiovisual carts that they put a TV on, and they had different consoles. At the time, it was um, N64 and PlayStation and stuff like that. And so they brought over a PlayStation. And I didn't have one of these at home, and I really wasn't (laughs) allowed to play on the computer for longer than an hour at a time. And this test was 12 hours long, and I wasn't allowed to eat or eat beforehand. And then I had an IV, and they were doing different... Um, yep. Stimulus test. It was a nightmare, mostly just to see if my endocrine system worked. So during this day, I was tired, I was exhausted, and I was bored. And so my mom and my dad yep. didn't say anything, and we rolled over a PlayStation. And for about three quarters of that day, if not more, I played Tony Hawk's Pro Scanner, and I played the one level, The Warehouse, which everybody talks about. <laughs> I played that for. Oh my god! six seven eight hours um straight one level oh my god Just over and over and over and that was part of the magic of the game was that it was so replayable but it also didn't require you to make tons of extra content to keep it interesting That's true. it was up to your own creativity what you could do And that was what was so cool about the game was it wasn't, oh, you have to do this thing, then this trick. And a lot of the games at that time were still very, oh, no, something's swinging at you from your left. Quick, mash this button on the left side as fast as you can.
0: Yeah, this wasn't like that. It was very much you controlled how things went and what you did, what tricks you did, how things happened. So I think, especially for kids, it kept things fresh because it was different every single time. And when you have kids who have shorter attention spans, um, typically when you're talking about children psychologically, their attention span is roughly their age. So Mm -hmm. if you have a seven year old, you're assuming that they have a seven minute attention span. So when you're talking about some of these games, if they know what's coming, if they know what's happening, it might not hold their attention for a super long time past a certain point games like the Tony Hawk series allow a child and teenagers and stuff as well to just continuously adapt and change their gameplay style, which really helps with attention span and keeping things fresh and interesting.
1: Absolutely. And and like we said, even the fact that in most cases when you're doing these runs, you had that two minute <laughs> that meant that a run wouldn't take longer than two minutes. And so normally at the end of two minutes, you were still lefting left wanting more. And exactly. you had a way to change up the scenery so again it didn't stagnate any way further and so at that point you could choose if you had unlocked one a different map you could choose different skaters and it's different skaters sort of like a lot of the other like sports games like madden and stuff like that they had like skills right so exactly. how fast how much air can they get how much hair uh, hang time uh, all the different things like that that apply to tricks and such what they could do is make some better at airtime and stuff like that. And so you could have one kid who's like, Hey, I'm trying to create a really cool trick where they do like three or four kick flips in a row and a cool rotation, but they might not be able to do it with one skater. They may have to use a different exactly. And so that left a ton of potential. So every time you skated, you could just pick a different person and then go, you know what? I want to see if I can do the, the famous Tony Hawk, 900, you know know, could i could i do that with another character that's not tony hawker's maybe another character better for it because in the game their air time is better and their spin speed is better or something so they still left ways for it to also be different Um, sort of like when you play Super Smash Brothers or things like that, the fact that just the fact that you can choose from, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 different characters, it (laughs) keeps it fresh for each time you play because your friends could play something totally different each time for a long time and keep that all feeling unique. And so exactly. you got some of that same stuff being brought over to Tony Hawk. And so what's yeah. cool is it meant this was a very inclusive sort of feeling game. And that was what was cool was skating was, you know, maybe to that point in a lot of ways yeah. seen as sort of the counterculture, except the people in it, the people in it are just like, we're just here to have fun. We're here to chill, we're here to <laughs> hang out and be mellow. Yeah. And they really are mostly that, that sort of style of just go with the flow and see what we can do and let's make a cool trick or whatever.
0: Yeah, nice. and uh, for for me, as someone who is not athletic at all, I'm going to say that again: zero athletic ability here. Um, the Tony Hawk games—I know Jake and I talked about this earlier before we actually started the podcast—really don't require sports knowledge to understand and play. Where like Jake made the connection with something like a Madden actually requires you to have a general knowledge of the sport where with the Tony Hawk games a friend could just hand you the thing and say here's the general controls and you're trying to do xy and z and just have fun and see if you can make it to the end thing over there and it made it inclusive for everybody because even someone as sports illiterate as i am could understand what was going on and i didn't have to know anything about skate culture or skaters to do anything i think the only skater i ever knew anything about was tony hawk
1: right well and i think that's what's cool about skateboarding is really there's no rules
0: mm-hmm.
1: right you're not on the you know when you're doing real skateboarding you're not on the same course as anybody else's rule what you're following like if you're at a skate park just casually uh but you know people are there you're usually being polite to make sure you're maintaining your spaces that's just very yeah it's like lane courtesy in a bowling alley it's sort <laughs> of maybe a dying breed but hopefully that as much um but that's something that you see in yeah. the, the the way that they kind of took the game and they shaped it for You know, letting the creativity come from knowing there's not rules and being able to say, okay, here's some here's some tricks that they kind of teach you. And I shouldn't say tricks because they're not actually teaching you the specific tricks themselves. Um, Yeah. Here's here's some tips to get started. And so they usually was there's a button that would make you Ollie. And in skating an Ollie is essentially just a simple jump where the board stays with your feet and there's no flip. There's no spin. There's no anything. It's basically just jump up board stays on your feet and you land back down that's an ollie but to do an ollie you have to squat down so that you can push off and transfer that weight well when you're squatted down like that you're also slightly more aerodynamic and maybe easier to to roll and so what they do in the game is they say if you hold that button that helps propel you forward at more speed if you let go of the button you launch so you can let go of it at the top of a half pipe like a ramp yep or you can let go of it to jump over an obstacle and holding it down would also help build up the speed to do so and so it was simple it's a simple mechanic and you don't see that as a rule right in madden there's so many things where what you're really encountering is a rule this is just
0: a rule of the sport and you're like i don't know what this what do you mean i can't do this
1: yeah this is the rule of physics and so people go well okay it says here if i push this button it'll do a grab trick so what you do is you pick a, a direction on your joystick left yeah. back forward up or whatever and whichever way you had it pointed would maybe decide which grab you did it was a nose grab or a tail grab and obviously grabbing the front of your board or the back the board while in the air or, or making a jump so you know you look at it that way and you go okay that makes sense but why does it matter where i'm at rotationally well the same way it would matter in the real world. Your wheels need to line up with where exactly. you're landing or you're going to wipe out. And there is something easy to teach about that, to tell a kid if, you know, he's never played it before to go, hey, make sure before you land, your wheels are straight.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: That was a concept that anybody could understand. You didn't need to have an understanding of the rules of a sport. There is none. The rule is don't fall. Do tricks.
0: Exactly, which just um, makes it super accessible to anyone and everyone.
1: Exactly, and then for then it to be realized that you could do such really cool-looking things, granted, Tony admits it and everybody talks about it, there are things in that game that have never been done in real life by the people that were making it. In but fact,
0: to be fair, later down the line, and I'm a lot of here, there are creators mm-hmm. that took things that people had done in the game that had never been done in real life and then did them in real life and you have this push and pull where the game pushed into the real world and the real sport and today you have tricks and things that wouldn't necessarily have existed or might have taken a longer time to appear had the games not done them. Hey guys, editing Kendra here again. As I was listening through this, I still wanted to include my comment that I had in that section, but I do realize that the audio is not fantastic, so I'm kind of going to recap real fast what I said. So essentially, with the Tony Hawk games the some of the tricks and things that you could pull off in those games didn't actually exist in real life and as I said there is this push and pull of culture where the game did things that then pushed real life skaters to try so there are a ton of tricks that you could do or create or master in those games that the documentary talked about how they didn't exist in real life. And Tony Hawk said they didn't exist in real life. They seemed fun and they wanted to create a space where, yeah, physics was important and you still had to obey the laws of science, but that you could be creative and create new tricks that had never been done before. And by doing so, they made it so that skaters said, I want to try this in real life. So some of the the more complex tricks that came later into the 2000s after the game existed, some of those moves came directly from the game. So we do have some tricks and other types of things in skate culture now that only exist or only existed so quickly simply because the game existed so that's basically what i was saying and i kind of wanted to be just a tad more clear than i might have been in that section right back to the episode
1: exactly and it was one of those things where the game's physics were actually pretty darn good um, Especially, yeah. there had been other skate games before that that had been done, like, in arcade-style stuff. And yeah. and they had some successes in the documentary, some footage of a very, very young Tony Hawk playing one of the <laughs> arcade-style sty- uh, arcade ones and saying it was pretty cool. Um, so there was some <laughs> neat things leading up to that, but you really never had something that was this, even though, granted, yes, 1999 uh, wasn't exactly the most technically advanced compared to what we're used to now for games. But the physics and the overall graphics and realism was way better than anything else anybody ever attempted for anything in the extreme sports world, let alone something just for skateboarders. Um, and so you see, it talks about it a lot in the documentary and again, it's, I really encourage it. It's not even if you, you don't have to be just a skateboard fan to enjoy it. If you're a fan of the like nineties and two thousands, especially of sort of I don't know, that sort of carefree lifestyle, maybe. I don't, I don't. It's You don't just have to like skating to enjoy it, and they talk about music, and you've got people on there from bands like the, um, I guess they have the bassist from Bad Religion. They had yeah. the front man from uh, Goldfinger because the shortened little uh, theme music that was in the original <laughs> game for when you got to yeah. the menu, it was the same like uh, 20 or 30 second loop of the beginning of the song, basically was superman by goldfinger yeah. and oh they talk God. about how well actually kendra you mentioned this is one that you actually really liked out of the podcast i'll let you tell that one.
0: So i think what's really interesting is the, the music aspect like jake is talking about um i'm a sucker for anything music uh, musical theater nerd absolute just music nerd in general i will listen to almost anything and everything except for most country music i just like that but um that's a hot take isn't it someone's gonna get mad at me for that one Yes, but, <laughs> but it's just not my style, sorry. But I'll listen to almost anything, and something that was really interesting to see was them talk about how music was such a huge part of these games that they actually legitimately thought about what was going into the games, what was going into the title menu, what was going into everything. And you don't necessarily see that in a lot of these sports games. But you have this thing where the music kind of encapsulated what skate culture was. Absolutely. So things like ska and like Blink-182-esque music. Oh,
1: my language. Oh, my <laughs> exactly. gosh.
0: Like just that kind of scene and that kind of alternative music really encapsulated what skate culture was. And that's why they, they spent so much time on the music, I think, and kind of what they were saying in the documentary was that they wanted their lifestyle and how things actually worked to be well-represented. And as mm-hmm. the games went on, they picked different singers and bands that encapsulated what the culture at the time was. And we've talked before on this podcast, we had a soundtrack episode a couple of weeks back. This is almost two months now that we did that.
1: Uh, And I will
0: put that in our description for anyone who hasn't heard that one. But we talked about how music really touches every part of your brain. And that's why memories that have music attached to them are some of our strongest bonded memories. And I kind of saw this as one of the reasons why this series has stuck around for everyone, even into what is 2020, as more than just nostalgia because it's not just a nostalgic thing. People are actually interested, but they can remember things more vividly because they're remembering the entire culture, but that boils down to the music that's bonded with those memories. And I think that's just incredibly interesting because that's not something you typically see from video games. And that's not something that you see from sports video games.
1: Well, that, and it's specifically... It's it's not even soundtrack right like admittedly yeah. there's a lot of people who are like oh soundtracks from games like Zelda like they have touring concert series at sellout stadiums to go see that oh but, absolutely but to see a game turn radio music huge mm-hmm. it's not that common and yeah you know yeah. I I I used to tell you be able to tell you some of the different songs on different Madden or, or other sports games. you know, I can tell you um, so many different ones that stuck with me and became things that I loved and things that I remember first hearing on a game. But the list of songs on Pro Skater and the different Pro Skaters that came after, I remember when my, my roommate here, um, who was also my neighbor when I was growing up, um, when he moved to the block, we played tony hawk pro skater four and i think at that time it was on his original xbox but i could be misremembering that but we played four and that one had crawling by lincoln park and i remember just i remember just being like what is this song what is he saying it's super cool and i know my brother had listened to it and so i got home and i asked my brother and i was like what was that song and i couldn't understand what he was saying when he's saying that my wounds will not heal. He was saying it all weird, and so I tried to ask my... But I specifically remember hearing it there and going, oh, that's something I know I've heard my brother listen to. That meant it was a popular thing. But what they didn't do when you were saying that they were very intentional, what they didn't do is they had Activision who would ask for this game to be produced. They were the publishers. And Activision is a big deal in the game community for those of you who don't know. Activision was one of the main movers, especially early on in the Call of Duty series. Yeah. Um, so you talk about one of the biggest, most recognizable game titles. That's Activision. So what they could have easily just done was said, hey, put the top 40 of whatever's big today into the game. We don't care. But they went to Tony and they said, what what music would you want in this? And then what Tony did was just like, well, why don't we just ask the people who skate? What do you like to skate with? What do you listen to? And that's and what then... they picked. And then they built a a soundtrack based off of what the people who were going to be in the game as the skaters themselves, the people they were asking for input for. And they just said, "Okay, all of you give me some songs to a bit and we'll try to get licensing. And they talk about the podcast, uh, forgive me, (laughs) in the documentary we're podcasting about. See, I've saved it. No one noticed. No one one saw anything. Well, Um, you said
0: it. So now they're going to notice it.
1: Yeah, but you can edit that, right?
0: (laughs) I mean, I can, but uh, I'm not going to.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right, too. That's why I'm going to leave you for a few episodes in October. Spoiler! Anyway, um, no, the 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 thing about um, the music then meant that because it reflected the culture of the whole group, it also meant that it was more accurate than any other game prior to that point because they really weren't captured, you know, capturing the full spirit of things. And they talked that this wasn't the first time that skating had been approached by mainstream media to try to see what they could take from it. But it always seemed that... Once they got what they wanted out of it, they sort of abandoned the culture and just turned mm-hmm. it into what would sell. Skating didn't change as a result of you know the different attempts for mainstream media to kind of come in and, and rebrand things. And it was neat to see that it not only just survived, but that it also then became sort of the leading voice. And when Activision were like, hey, let's make a game, they put together the uh, now famous studio, uh, Neversoft who made the, the initial yeah. game. And they have the very weird sort of animated logo intro to the game that is iconic to many of us. Um, and that adapted and changed over the different games. I remember what it was for four. I remember watching it for the first time again at, <laughs> at my roommate's house at the time. So cool. So it's, it's neat, like I said, to see how they brought all the pieces together and that the pieces that should have had all the power, like Activision, yeah actually took the time to give uh, an ear and paid attention to the people that actually lived in that community. And w- look what happened when they did that, especially exactly. since, you know, yeah, you know there are other skate games out there, but if I say skateboarding game, yeah, you could you could say skate, since that's just the name of it. I get that. And that was a good move on their marketing team too. But you look at Tony Hawk and it's like, like, can you think of a more skate name, a more skate identity. It's <laughs> it's it's sort of like when they change Tiger Woods. And I'm sorry, I love Rory McElroy, but he hasn't hit the point where you say his name and you go, ooh, golf. with just a little bit of golf. And he is very, very gifted. But they gave him the new deal. And again, it's one of those where you can see that it'll take him some time to kind of maybe grow into that title. But Tony Hawk mm-hmm. was already the face of skateboarding. That's then true. to give him the game and now on the other side of it uh, i think you mentioned it tony hawk you can't separate that from skating and he really can't no. separate skating from tony hawk and a lot of that also has to do with the game
0: um yeah it's it's very funny because um tony hawk as a cultural icon is something i kind of wanted to touch on in here because he's he is fantastic he is like his own thing his twitter feed it's a riot
1: is my his twitter favorite thing Oh, my gosh. I, I, I haven't seen all of his bits. Like I'm sure he's got other things. Yeah. But I know oh, I've yeah. seen specifically on either Facebook or Instagram. I've seen where they take the collection of his tweets about yeah. the times people don't recognize him. <laughs> or they do recognize him. And it is the funniest thing. Because admittedly, um, while he still looks yeah. quite good for his age, um, his hair is kind of great. And he's got some wrinkles here and there. Like, he's definitely aged from his youth. Um, and he's still also quite capable they p- proved that in the documentary um, yeah. but they basically they were like hey um, he went to like the, the airport once in the TSA agent <laughs> was like oh um, Anthony Hawk or whatever oh, yeah. I guess that makes you Tony Hawk yeah I wonder Hulk what that guy's wonder what that skate guy's up to or whatever and <laughs> Tony Hawk just like Tony goes probably hey. going through TSA <laughs> like hey. something like that yeah. where it's, and you're just like oh my gosh you or are like comedic said, gold
0: He was on an airplane and was trying to stow away a board like above him. And someone was like, Oh my god, like do you know Tony Hawk? And he was like, I don't know, do I?
1: (laughs) (laughs) He has some of the he has some of the wittiest comebacks in a way that's not mean or anything like that, but just sort of like as those of us who would see him and recognize him or hear it and know it and all that. It's absolutely a riot to us. But again, it's another one of those things where it's it's unique because he is somebody who in the skate community had fame, but not really in mainstream until sort of some of the stuff leading up to the game and then especially because of the game. And he then – we also talk a little bit as an example of something else that tried to do the same sort of thing, but not in the video game way. We look at how – the X Games tried to kind of monetize and, and create a competition around yeah. skating. And when they first came in and started doing stuff, they had their announcers and, you know, the, the the commentators and stuff. And they were trying to hype it up as something that it just wasn't. They were trying to make it raw, yeah. or more aggressive, more of these things. And that's not the skate mentality. It's all more about that creativity and flow.
0: Yeah. And I, and I remember, so... like, with the X Games for a while there, when I was younger, my brother was younger, like, my parents being very worried about us watching it because it became how dangerous like skateboarding and stuff was that these guys got hurt so much. And it was so intense. And when you're watching this documentary, you're realizing that it wasn't that it was the marketing of the X games that kind of created that. And yes, guys did get hurt. Tony Hawk talked in the documentary about how like, yeah, he got hurt because you try tricks and you fall, but that can happen with, any sport yeah. look at f- football is one of the most intense most dangerous sports but you don't have any parents going I'm not going to put my child on the Pee football team or I'm not going to let my child play football in high school I'd say that football is more dangerous than something like skateboarding like the marketing for the x games put it into parents minds that if your child does skateboarding or biking like this like they're going to die a young horrible death on the concrete
1: as i i love how like you you highlighted a lot of the the psych and social i'm going to highlight some of the communication (laughs) side of this look at that you'll see art degrees appropriately you look at it and it's like even just the verbs and the, the terminology they used to describe the things going on in the X Games. What did they call those activities, right? So it was BMX yeah. and skateboarding and all that stuff. What did they call them? They called them extreme sports. That's why they were the extreme. X Games, right? What, we, what would we technically probably call them now in the... I wouldn't call it even PC. This is not a politically correct thing. But what would we call it now in maybe a slightly more evolved way of, of viewing the term we'd call it an action sport why oh,
0: because yeah.
1: it doesn't really suggest as much danger as extreme sport and honestly if you're wearing your pads and you're being careful and you're skating and you're you know taking your time learning to run you know walk before you can run kind of stuff right as long as you're doing that you're gonna be okay and you'll notice it's something i'm, I'm cheating i'm looking at the wikipedia page again for pro <laughs> to remember some of the specific dates um But in particular, you'll notice that the art for it, for the cover for the game, is Tony Hawk wearing elbow pads and knee pads and a helmet and all of the gear. And in street skating, that wasn't always necessarily a thing. But Tony Hawk never once suggested it should be done unsafely. And then in the game, there was tons of things like uh, disclaimers at the beginning saying, don't do this unless it's a regular, you know, like all the correct things, not encouraging kids to skate on the streets illegally or to impact traffic or to do anything unsafe. And that's just it is it portrayed that well. And it also, in some ways was nice because it meant kids have a place to just try crap out without hurting themselves. Um, And they talk in the pod and I almost said it again. They talk about (laughs) the documentary, how, how the guys um, who were part of it, one of them, particularly Rodney Mullen, uh, one of the bigger names out of that game, um, Rodney Mullen was actually injured for a time and he didn't normally do much with video games. But well, with all that time laid up, he had called Tony Hawk, who was one of his best friends. And Tony was like, hey, take a deep breath. You're going to heal up. You'll be back at the, the rink and the, the, the skate parks in no time. No big deal. But um, in the meantime, if you tried the game and it was something that, yeah. you know, it, again, uh, Rodney didn't really do the game thing, but there's something about it that is so either close to real life with just enough creativity and fantasy to keep you wanting more. There's just something magical. And it was sort yeah. of a flash a flash in the pan of brilliance because they even say that uh, in the documentary, Tony Hawk actually had taken a previous meeting at Nintendo before, yes. before PlayStation, and that there was some other groups... Um, um, that he had worked with in particular that had even given him some game footage and some some gameplay to try out that was okay, but not great. And eventually, it was something I think they said it was Turn 2 gaming, and I forget, Turn 2 turned into Rockstar Games, which you guys would yeah. know for uh, Red Dead Redemption, game, uh, 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 Grand Theft Auto, and... Uh, oh man, that's another big one that I'm blanking on. and Someone's gonna hate me for missing it. Well, um, but oh wow, well, except the two
0: big ones.
1: I played <laughs> him for Max Payne too. Um, the Max Payne games were great. Anyway, Rockstar, big big name. Uh, they they made an attempt. It wasn't quite what he wanted. It's he's basically he described. He said it felt as hard to learn as it was to learn to skate. And the whole point was, this was not meant to be exclusive. You didn't want to have to train to be a skater in a game the way you have to in real life. You want to just pick up the controller and make it feel like it's it's a beautiful, effortless, flowing thing.
0: Exactly. And that's what I think is so wonderful about these games is that Tony Hawk did want it to be so and I, I do think this all comes down to Tony Hawk specifically and who he chose, like with Activision, chose to end up going with them because he had gone and seen some other gameplay and stuff and he specifically said in the documentary that he wanted it to feel correct he wanted it to feel right and he went by feel instead Mm -hmm. of by what's popular what's now what do what are the kids playing now he said if it didn't feel right he didn't want to do it and i really do i credit that had he just gone with what other people were trying to push him into doing originally, it probably, he probably would have ended up going with Nintendo and it wouldn't have been, it probably would have flopped because it wouldn't have had the same just integrity that it does having come from Activision who listened to the community. And he said it felt right. And you know, the big man of the the skateboarding world, if he said something feels right, it probably was.
1: And that's something beautiful. Like you said, the, I love the, the choice of word there. Back to my, you know, the com degree. I, guess. I love the idea that it was, it was integrity. They stayed mm-hmm. true to the identity of what the skate community was. And what was cool is, in a lot of cases, if you were to sit here and be like, okay, internet, tell me who the best, best player in the NFL should be so we can name our next football game after them. Oh, my God. Do you have any idea how many contesting opinions you would have? And not only that, how hostile it would get.
0: Yeah, people would – people throw down. People throw absolute (laughs) hands over the NFL. I have seen almost drag-out fights happen in my own family from the NFL. It's like, guys, excuse me. They're just running around with a ball in stirrup (laughs) pants.
1: But uh, but imagine trying to tell them that one player – in the yeah. entire league is the one that should be seen as the one that has the game. <laughs> now technically that's they kind cool. of do it. They sort of do it every year with the Madden cover photo. Yeah, where they, they talk about yeah, it. Right. But that's, that's a yearly thing. So it's always like, Oh, if that wasn't my year next year, be my year. You still may be pissed that maybe you thought you had the year that should have gotten you there, but whatever. Right. It's not the same as a series like the, the Tiger Woods and the, the Tony Hawk and some of these other ones. And Tony Hawks in particular is just a great example of, you know, just what the name association creates yeah, for the credibility has, and the Tony fact that his
0: culture at this point, like he is yeah. and he and, still is to this day, even though it's been so long, what the first game came out in 99
1: and He's, he had been in, he'd been in the yeah. skate scene since even in the eighties and, and what they, they, you know, kind of talk about is just his, um, even his style of skating. So, Early on, the competitive skating world would have been doing what they called vert skating, short for vertical. And that'd be the stuff where you're in the half pipes or in the pools and things like that. And your tricks are up one side and down the other and up one side and maybe a jump or a, a, a trick to balance oh, on the edge. Favorite. of the, Right. And that's vert skating. And that's what Tony Hawk was good at. That was his competitive thing because that was that was what the pro skaters did in the 80s. That's where you compete in the 80s and 90s. And what was weird was then when in the 90s they talk about how the game, you know, not the game for gaming, but the sport kind of went underground. And then people were just building vert ramps in their backyard or people were skating in their own, you know, they'd make something in the corner lot, but not really a park or anything. It was much more private and backyard. And also then because the skate park started closing anybody who didn't necessarily do that and was really more in the skate scene too they would also start doing more like street skating because they didn't have a park and that's where you saw less of the i'm going to roll up a half pipe and down a half pipe that's when you saw i'm going to grind off this i guess i'm going to jump over that i'm going to ride down these stairs that's where the
0: rail thing came from i feel like that's where like you you, you think of skating and you think of kids running down but I think that's why my mom and dad were kind of like no skateboarding because first you have the whole x game things and then you have like oh god my son is gonna go out there and be a delinquent with his <laughs> his uh his spray paint and he's gonna he's gonna grind down like the things of a school and and spray paint some Nazi symbolism, and God, it's the downfall of society. Well,
1: and something I loved, and and we have to remember, I'll date myself here, 1999 yeah. when the game released, I was all of five years old.
0: So I was remembering
1: three. I know, I know you,
0: freaking Um
1: As far <laughs> <Bye>. as as you're <laughs> good, as far as the the. the I mean, you're not, but we'll, we'll forgive you because you're the actual host. I'm just the co-host. Although yeah, this week it's my show. I'll, no, I'll, okay, no, get, please get, get don't. Please out. don't leave me. Um, but in in 1999, like I said, I would have been five years yeah. old. Um, So I, I didn't necessarily have all of a remembering of the, the different ad campaigns and things. So when I saw the documentary, they started with one of the ads. And I went, oh, no, this is not good because this is the way it started out. I was thinking it was going to be something that was going to be contrary to the things they were saying. I'm like, oh, no, this this there's no way they would choose this ad for that. And what it was was, yeah, there were a couple of kids that were skating. They didn't look like hoodlums or, or anything like that. Um... But they were skating and then there was a cop car that came up behind them. And when the two cops got out of the car, they were like, you know, hurrying out as if they needed to pull them aside because they've been jaywalking or something. And what they do is they take out skateboards and they get on the skateboards and then it's okay. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, I get it. And now they were still being chased by the cops, but the cops were chasing them on skateboards. And whenever the kids would walk right against the wall or grind a rail or whatever, the cops chasing them would do the same. And I went, oh, I get it, because now what they're basically saying is, it's not the skates, the skating, the skateboarding, that would be the crime here, right? Otherwise, yeah. the cops wouldn't be using it to chase them. Now, granted, it's still a little bit of a mixed message, but I think you can see how that would just be compared to, like we were just saying, the view that skaters are criminals or something like that or right. associated with that right. world. They sort of played into that for just long enough to, to, to throw you a loop. And then I think yeah. since then, it never, it's it stopped being seen as a, A real hoodlum thing, especially since you see so many videos, especially now on Reddit and YouTube. I've seen. Oh, kid goes to the skate park for the first time with autism and all the skate kids help teach him how to drop into a pool for the first time. I don't know. How do you drop off from that edge and keep your wheels down? It's, it's a bit of an art form. How do you do it? And so they taught him. And then when he did it, they all like cheered. And that became a thing then after school when they could. They'd meet up and teach him tricks. It's things like that. And here's the thing. That's not an isolated incident. No, is there's not...
0: one um, that I love of a mom who took her little girl. And I think this is going to segue really well into something else that I was on my mind when talking about this. Please. concept was there's this this mom with this little girl like young girl and she went to the local skate park and she said she was really worried about how people were going to treat her kid because her kid is tiny and there's all these really tall really big mostly teenage boys and they're all you know in baggy pants and and helmets and stuff and she was worried that they were going to like run her little kid over or they were just going to be mean because you know they're moody aggressive teenage boys and she said it was it was heartwarming to watch that one of these kids, you know, gated down and was like, hey, honey, are you doing okay? Because this little girl looked terrified and was stuck to the edge and kind of took her under his wing and showed her what to do and how to start. And the mom said it was one of those things that now they go back all of the time. And I think this has been circulating for at least 10 years on Facebook, this it's, story. It's,
1: it's been around, I know, the one. So, yeah. And here's what's cool is even in that story, there's a couple pictures and a couple little video clips that Muhammad posted to go with it. And when you look at it, um, you can see that it, it isn't just him then. Mm-mm. His friends pick up too. And I think that's just kind of it is the idea that these good things, they're not flashing a pan that way with this community. Yeah. In general, the skate community, like when you go to the skate park, there must be just something about the act of going to a skate park with your board. You're already going there, not your because partner. you're in a rush you're there to go have fun. And it's something about, I think, putting you in that mode the same way you might have some of the same connections. And I used to with friends at a bowling alley.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: That idea of you're there to relax, but it's a mutual space and you can come there together or apart and you can make new friends. Maybe not as much at the bowling alley, but that's just it. That's part of what skating was so different Yeah, but is uh, that community, the people that were into it, they were much more ver- verbal and vocal, but yeah. you were saying that ties in. I'll let you tie, tie that in, in please. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Um, there's this thing that they mentioned in the documentary and they mentioned it slightly, but I think that ties in really well is that these games kind of gave a spot for women and minority skaters and athletes that hadn't been given before. And I think that impacted the culture of skating. That's why you have, even though it's, you know, primarily teenage boys at things like skate parks, That when a little girl comes in, it's no different than if another guy came in and that it it goes beyond like ethnicity and race. And it kind of is about these games. We're the first to feature women and minority skaters. And they did this before other sports games did. And even to this day, you know, football is a man's sport. You're never going to see a woman football player in a Madden game. It's just not going to happen. I mean, it could maybe one day, but skating kind of transcends the idea of of gender and race and all that kind of stuff. And I thought that it was really cool to see like a mom be like, yeah, these kids treated my small little girl with the same amount of respect as they did their own friends. And I think that's just really beautiful.
1: I couldn't agree more and, and obviously to take with a grain of salt that not everybody who carries a skateboard yeah. is. And some might not even ascribe to be a part of the skate culture. For them that skateboard you know, well, it's because the hoverboard was too expensive and they still needed a quick way to go downhill to whatever. I knew guys who used to just longboard in college just so yeah. they could ride down the hill to campus. It didn't really make them a the skateboarder necessarily. But yeah. the the idea being that, at least in general, those who are a bit more committed, the ones who make it out and make time to go to the skate parks or to set up their own sort of skate areas, that people kind of kind of recognize as almost official. Right. It's mm-hmm. those people who kind of take that extra effort, typically that would ascribe to be a member of skate culture and then those people in particular you just see that they are some of the sweetest most beautiful souls and they are so uh, at that point there's something about them that just they have almost the zen quality it seems and that's why i love yeah. the documentaries you're asking all these skater guys and half of them were just tickled pink <laughs> to be being interviewed and tickled pink that they were known and remembered and all these other things and you can tell that that's how they see it and there's something cool about tony too we talked about how great tony is where you watch him, and he's fun, and he's lighthearted, but he's also a matter of fact, and he's real. He's not just self-deprecating to be modest yeah. or anything like that. He's genuinely able to say, "Yeah, my name was the face of, of, of uh, Tony Hawk. My face, my name was the face of skating." And you look at the, the, he talks about how he almost sold the, um, the royalties yeah, that were going to come from the game, or something. Which, Yep, which back in the early 2000s would have been huge. And it was sometime after I think the first or second game had been released. And yeah, that number would have been more than he'd ever heard of, more than he could imagine going through. And for whatever reason, though, because his career was kind of back uh, on track doing some of the stuff with X Games and the competitions and things. He also just got in a house, started a family, and things were looking up on sponsorships (laughs) and all these other things. He decided to say no. I'm not going to sell it. um,
0: So fun fact, I just Googled it. Um, And in the early 2000s, off of his royalties, he made more than $6 million per year. And he was going to sell all of them for $500,000.
1: And be real. That's like we said, that's just the royalties. That's not the the bonuses. That's Mm -mm. not the payments for working on the game and things like that.
0: Just royalties.
1: And that's not his skating career itself. His product line that he sold with, I've had actually a few different pairs of skinny jeans back when I could fit into skinny jeans. Um, (laughs) uh, But I also had a lot of his flannels and some of his hats and stuff. So like that's not touching any of the things that we associate with his name, just the royalties, which is just the people who purchase or have had to copyright his, or, you know, share the trademark um, in their, you know, references for things. That's ridiculous. And so it's one of those, it's neat to see, That he didn't sell out the rights and somehow get lost from the shuffle something about that magical decision, which I'm so grateful for meant that he got to stay the face of it. And like we've said, they've consistently continually at Activision gone to him to the point where he's even said, you know, when he resigned the contract extension that they gave him for like 10 years to really retain him. He basically was just like, I don't care if you would even cut this pay in half. Like, they were like people like, well, you could technically ask for more. And he's like, bro, it's more money already than I could ever use. I'm just happy it's working. I will gladly, like, take less pay if it means they're going to continue to create this opening yeah. and welcoming spirit for the game and for the vision for the game. And again, that's we've talked about it again. We talk about it, is, you it know, accessibility and how great accessibility is, right? And he was huge on that. We talk about representation. Again, huge on that. Um, it may not have been the driving force in the creation of the games, but the fact that they've been African-American and Latina and Latino or however Latinx, I don't know if how all the terms are best these days, um, and um, uh, female skaters as well. We had Alyssa Steamer uh, that was in, in yeah. I think, three or four, and we've, you know, there are girl skaters that attribute seeing her in the game and going, you know what, that's not a that's not an outlier that's not a mistake that's not an anomaly that's just someone who's good at skating Exactly. Um, and so that's what's really cool is he takes a lot of the things we've highlighted before as some of the key attributes in making something special and you can see those being kind of recreated here as well even down to the the understanding of of um you know the passion, the love of the game, like we've talked about with uh, Star Kid. It's not expensive to go see them. But one of the reasons it's not is because they love what they do so much that they don't fleece you for tickets. And it's sort of the same way. Yeah,
0: that's, I think, why I have such a respect for Tony Hawk. I've talked about this before. And I I love that you just mentioned Star Kid because you, you can't see it, but my face has just... It's lit up at that point. I,
1: I remember the takeaways from the, even the so ones beautiful. that weren't my weren't um, something that I had much to present yeah, on. I, I remember.
0: But, but it's that it's that kind of integrity and just love of what you do that makes me love people when I see that passion that I want to support those people. And like you said, it's it's video video games can be pricey or expensive, but um it's still accessible for a lot of people. It's still something that most people can get. There's always sales. There's always coupons. Well, well, it's not and, this unreachable thing.
1: Well, slow your roll there, because I actually happen to know because I bought the one that is the new one that kind of spawned. Oh, yeah, how much is the, the 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 demand for the documentary? Um, here's the cool thing: most games, for those of you who aren't familiar, from what we would call a triple A publisher, which would be places like Activision or um, EA and some of the other big names oh in gaming, God, Blizzard. Blizzard, exactly. Uh, a lot of those, although Blizzard maybe isn't the best example, but a lot of the new games know. from those companies <laughs> yeah. are usually about sixty dollars when new.
0: Yeah, sixty. Yes, that's,
1: that's been the new run for a lot of those games. Here's the cool thing: this game, yeah, I think they part of it is they acknowledge that it's a remake, but it is an excellent remake from the ground up. It's not one where they just take the game and they kind of jazz it up a little bit. They rewrote the whole thing. So it is beautiful. It's all new physics, but it's meant to look just like the old one. Um, but but it's technically also two games in one plus extra content that weren't available on the original version of those two games. Right. Being able okay. to create a park that's more advanced than you could in the, some of the spark uh, park creators that you had in the games before. And the first game never had a park creator. So you're already getting more from the first game, more. if that makes any sense. Yeah. So you've got the first game, and the second game, you can create your own skater. You can create your own, th- your own, uh, park. You can skate against friends. There's a multiplayer mode. There's all these different things that make it more than it had been at the time or build on the best things of the series and just take them to the original two. So all of that's to say, there's a lot of value in there. It's $40. Are
0: you serious? And that's
1: that's the starting price. That's not the 60, yeah. it's 40. And it's like you sweet. said, it's yeah. also available on PC. The Epic launcher is where you would download it on PC and I have it. Um, and Epic does sales all the time. I didn't yeah. get one on sale this time because it was that worth it just to have it new and 40 bucks is doable for me. Um, and I thought that worthwhile and I've gotten so much playtime out of it recently. It's perfect. It's two minute runs. So put on an episode of one of the shows we've been talking about. I love um, to I
0: love to see this though. This like just helping people be able to have something that's so beloved and brings so much joy. It's like if you love what you do and you're giving it out to people for the love of the thing, like that's just what now, I love to see. <laughs>
1: I can't say that's necessarily Tony Hawk specifically, right? But um, it's I, that I whole,
0: it folds into the world that he helped create. If he hadn't done this earlier in the in the late 90s and early 2000s and set up what this brand is, I don't know if it would be the same way. So, I credit that to him a little bit based on what people are sure from the brand.
1: Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's, yeah, I don't think that's an unfair thing to say. And like I said, that's part of why I was, you know, we've, we've talked about how it's not just that the game embodies the spirit of the things that make a good fandom, but specifically Tony Hawk does seem to either embody them, encourage them, or maybe even drive them in terms of how it was seen in the game. So again, we see it just in the inclusion of the different people. Like we said that they had Alyssa steamer, um, who was the one who was included in the game the 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 woman skater mm-hmm. um she was released in the initial game
0: yeah. it
1: wasn't like a couple games later she was in the first one and that was back in 99 that was right. big Good and deal. so we that had to have been something that you have to imagine was being driven by Tony Hawk and his curation if you would say right for the creator of the game his yeah. curation of what skate culture was and so it was, you know, it's nice to see that, yeah, he was chosen. There was no argument from what I can tell. Yeah. At least the, the big name people that were all on the skate scene at the time in the competitive and pro world all went, oh yeah, Tony makes sense. Nobody begrudged him. <laughs> there's been a couple things in the documentary where they say a couple of people were like, you know what, there's some things that were done to the game I wouldn't have done. But regardless, it was still a good game. It still did drive the culture. It still made a huge showing for skateboarding. And it was something that was still pretty universal and it was still fun. But I wouldn't have done X. And that's perfectly okay. Yeah. And it, But it wasn't something that was counter- the culture of skating, whereas exactly. some of the other things like the initial X Games runs and stuff like that were. <laughs> right. But you could see them slowly shift that from the vert skating and some of the other sketchy stuff. You saw them slowly turn it into things where now when you watch, there's even a, a skate, street skating league. I, I forget if that's what they call it or what. um I think it's what it is. But it's super cool. And it is just, okay, here's sort of a downhill park area. Yeah. Go over the, the things and do a, a trick run. And you could you might not use all of the the obstacles and someone else might and they can use different ones. Like, There's something about that, again, that also drives that creativity. And again, a lot of it is from their culture and how strongly they believe in it and how universal it seems to be in appeal and how willing they are to share it. They're so, so inclusive. Um, And so I think that was something cool to see and seeing it 20 years down the pipe.
0: um, What else has that kind of lasting power and positive lasting power because like i know madden has lasted but there's a lot of people that have issues with like football culture and nfl culture especially now with some of the things that like football players have done that Mm -hmm. it's some of the staying power is more negative than it is positive but the staying power for tony hawk and for skate culture and these games seems to be pretty positive
1: it's unique because there's a lot of games I can think of that have some staying power, but a lot of them are focused on things that aren't in the real world. Um, world of Warcraft, right? Been around yeah. for 20, 30 years now, right? At least. Um, but you look at World of Warcraft and what's really the, you know, the content of the game. It's a magical world. They can make whatever rules they really want. Obviously, if they change it too much from the original formula, people will probably get pissed. Exactly. But You compare that to this, this is a real-world thing. Now, granted, we also know they stretch reality and some of the tricks they allow you to do and stuff like that. But that's sort of the point, is it's a game. It's meant to show, okay, what's skating. And then let's say we stretch just a little bit to make your imagination do a little bit of a jig. That's about it. Um, Yeah. But there's there's something about that that is so unique and so magical that is why, in my book, yeah, there's other games that probably have a longer runtime. And probably have some of that have just as much positive um, growth and development attached to them. But I think that this one in particular is just so unique because it has to follow a real live scene, a real live culture. And for that culture to also maintain and grow and mature and do so in a way that is still inclusive so that the game can remain inclusive. Like that's part of what we're getting at is the game also impacted 'Cause we've reached a point now where there's a generation and more of skaters that have come since Tony Hawk was the, the the hot ticket. So for that game to help create what was the atmosphere that these younger skaters were kind of brought up in meant that you know, the culture yeah. created the game and then the game helped create culture. Yeah, it's almost and like that's... this
0: like almost like a living, breathing entity almost where instead of like, and I, I hate to continue to compare it to Madden, but that's really the only other fair, sports or athletic game that I'm aware of that I have any type of knowledge of. Um, sure. But like, it's, it's such a different thing. Like Madden is its thing and it exists and it takes specific things from a specific part of football culture and puts it in where the Tony Hawk games are this living, breathing entity, this push and pull, this give and take. And it's kind of a really interesting thing to watch happen, where as much of what the culture and the people in it give to the game, the game gives just as much back.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and that's again, it's why I was excited about this one, and and I know Kendra and I've talked about it, and I know you guys, if you've listened to you know even the episode on on sort of the fan fiction and stuff like that, we've talked about how. Um, a lot of my understanding of cultures has also come from gaming, uh, and not just you know movies and television. Some of the things we've we've covered so far in the podcast, um, but gaming has a big part of it as well. It's and absolutely
0: and... fandom. It absolutely comes from fandom and a media fandom at so that.
1: And it, it was. If you had asked me like, hey, can you think of what would be a good universal game? I would go with a lot of the Nintendo ones because I know a what? lot of people who can pick up Mario Kart. and It's very simple controls and it's a fun party game. Um, I'd think of maybe some trivia games that are fun, like the Jackbox games, things That's like so that. Good. Right. There's a lot of things I can think of that have a pretty good universal appeal. But there are a few things that I think are so like I was just so glad that the, it lined up with 2020 that we have yet. Yeah. A, a, a miss a, a abysmal super shitty year we have the still benefit here of having Tony Hawk coming back and for that not just to be then oh here's a new Tony Hawk let's see where we're going but here's yeah. the old Tony Hawk let's see why we still love so much where yeah. we came hey, from and how you. it still fits
0: can you save 2020 please Mr. Hawk please save us
1: uh, Genuinely, there are few people I would trust as much as him, genuinely, to have a shot at making life better. Because there is something there is something so reasonable and appealing and comforting about God. him. Like I said, if you watch him in interviews, if you read his Twitter, he is so unassuming. But like I said, he's still real. He knows he made big off of the game. He knows he's famous. Yeah. He's no He knows he's got wealth because of his brands and all these things. And he doesn't shy away from talking about it. But there's something about him where it's just like he realizes... Man, I was just in the right place at the right time. I knew the cool people. I knew the right people. I was good at what I did, which spoke well. And that's how I ended up here. And he's just glad that he created what he created. And you saw it again. Like we said, you could see that spirit even when he was still younger and he got the chance to say, now hold on to my royalties and... Not to ask for more when they re-upped his contract. Because yeah. everybody kind of said you could make more. I was honestly surprised when you said $6 million a year. I'm yeah. like, you know what? I could have seen that being much bigger later on, especially.
0: But he didn't um, care about the money. He cared about the game. And he cared about doing something that he loved. And I think that's beautiful.
1: Yep. You go, and, he's, and it's nice because also a lot of people look for more money just so they can be richer. Yeah. Right? Or so they can live nicer he was like you know what i live pretty comfortably with what i'm doing so why why up the terms of a deal um so it also kind of suggests like we said that maybe the skate community has some things figured out it seems a lot of people in the skate community shout out to one of my favorite members of the skate community and that is chris fairbanks of my favorite podcast do you need a ride um he's a he's a um a comedian and a skater and it's something that i absolutely love because his instagram is full of him skating and full of those heartwarming stories there was a an older woman a middle-aged woman on instagram a few years back who had had um i guess some sort of terminal cancer and he um, and a bunch of people had watched because she and her son or her, or her husband or maybe had created an Instagram just for her to learn how to skate, and it tracked her trying to do a kickflip and do all these tricks and do these different things on a board in her living room, even as she sort of declined in health. Um, and the whole skate community would follow her and comment, and they knew her by name. And the pros had met her, and like she just became part of the skate culture because of this uh, until she passed. And so it was something that he had posted even in 2020 here as sort of an encouragement that, you know, look, she learned how to skate in her bedroom or in her, her you know, living room um, with some, some cool tricks and some cool practices. yeah What, you know, what's to stop you guys? And so I mean, for um, me,
0: it's the coordination. I would say if you have oh. met me, I can't stand on two flat feet. You try to put me on a board that moves. We're going to have some problems. So that's had, what's stopping me if
1: he's asking. Uh, I very nearly wiped out in college trying to do that longboard. I usually did a – I had a usually a crappy – although I really liked it uh, – Walmart, um, like the Walmart brand. But it was – again, yeah. I still liked it. It had a nice big shock. But anyway, the BMX bikes or, like, a mountain bike, that was a lot easier <laughs> yeah. for me to ride, and I was just as fast. I tried doing the skateboard. I don't know how to slow down well. And it's like, oh, well, carve. <laughs> I don't know how to lean far enough without either, like, totally just pitching the thing. I have no idea. I tried. I couldn't figure it out, and I almost died going down that one hill. Um,
0: What's stopping us? We have no coordination or athletic ability. That's what's stopping us, but I appreciate the sentiment. Ah,
1: excuse me. I played soccer for 11 years. I have great feet.
0: I mean, Uh, I I I was a field hockey goalie, but, like...
1: And I was a G and I was a gymnast for three years prior to my soccer career as well, so I'm good good at balance. It's just admittedly there's something about that. Plus, I think I kind of was a little bit older when I started to have any interest in it, and by that point, I really had nobody who was going to be able to teach me well. I didn't have enough drive because I just like soccer more. Creative stuff wasn't as much my stuff. Constant action, which if I'd gotten good at skateboarding, would have been the case. But when you're not good at skateboarding, it. It's a little tedious when you're a kid, especially as excitable as me. So anyway, it's just it's it's neat to see in the skate community that the big names um, and the the people that are in it, they vary in age, they vary in style, they vary in so many different things. But it does seem that they all have one idea that anyone can skate anyone can learn to skate. Anyone should be allowed to skate that. It's just it's this big, happy family of. Why you know Tony Hawk says it all the time. He says he doesn't understand how the people who like the mainstream sports, the football, the base, baseball, basketball, how they didn't come to love it because it's got so many of the same elements of a little bit of skill, a little bit of risk, a little bit of speed, and a little bit of of creativity. All those different things that so many people love about football and basketball. It's just it has to be kind of exhibited in a different way. Um, Yeah, but. It's neat to see that, like we said, he even pays attention to the fact that it's got such a broad appeal and he seeks only to really share even more, even though it'd be really tempting for that group to make, you know, if you're pro, it'd be really easy to be like, you know what, I want this to only be me, so only I get paid for this to do the X Games. But no, it's anyone and everyone comes up, shows up, and if they can can throw down a good trick, everyone's going to give them the benefit of the doubt and and give them an old route. So yeah, it's... It's fantastic.
0: Um, and and with that, I think we are actually out of time for today, which seems crazy because it feels like we've been talking for five minutes about this. That's how interesting this topic is. But um, uh, before we leave you guys this week, I did want to mention that we put a challenge out last week for you guys. Oh, and, no. oh, did we meet that challenge? So last week we talked about white-collar And one of the things that we got into was how Matt Bomer kind of made fedoras popular. And we talked about how my wonderful co-host Jake here has some embarrassing fedora pictures from his time in high school.
1: We did mention in the episode that yes, while Matt Bomer made it possible and popular because he looks so good in it, yeah. not all of us can do what Matt Bomer can. Um, and so I offered <laughs> to, to give some evidence to that if you guys gave us a little bit of extra interaction this week, which and, you guys ooh, easily met the challenge. So I
0: put it out on Sunday. I put a picture out of the white collar logo and I said, hey. Like Jake said in the episode, if you can get us 20 likes or 20 comments on this picture, he will give us fedora pictures from his high school years. And let me tell you guys, within 12 hours, we had like 30 something likes and they're still going. So if you would like to see <laughs> pictures of Jake in a fedora looking absolutely ridiculous, they are on our Instagram. So do with that information what you will.
1: Uh, it's It was worth it. Like I said, I'm <laughs> glad that you'd be getting the feedback, and I'll be also honest, I'm pretty sure that these pictures have at least once or previously appeared on my Facebook, so they're not necessarily unknown to the world, but admittedly, um, they're in dark, forbidden, hidden quarters of the web and of my phone library, um, but well, definitely Latin worth Lewis. bringing out. <laughs> definitely worth bringing out and it's just a further example of what we were saying that if you look at the time frame of when those pictures were taken in my life it was when white collar was on the air and exactly. uh was one of many examples not the only one obviously but one of many examples of the power of the fedora in the uh the mid 2000s and 20 teens
0: yeah and uh, don't you guys worry eventually you will be getting some embarrassing Kendra content um, if you scroll back far enough, though, from on our Instagram from our Starkid episode, you can see several pictures of me and my best friend uh, just decked out in all of our embarrassing Starkid goodness for that concert in 2012. But there will be more come November. A little bit of a spoiler for that is you will get some more great, embarrassing Kendra content if that's what you're after. But uh, with that, you guys, we hope you have an amazing week. And as always, all of the research for this episode, including the documentary, will be linked in the description as well as the links to all of our social media. You guys have a great week and we'll see you next Saturday.